Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. It was the summer of 1992. Teenagers Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall had just graduated from high school, spent the evening celebrating with friends, and were gearing up for an incredible summer before their adult lives began. Stacy was going to be sleeping over at Susie's mother's home that night, and then they had plans to go to the water park in the morning. However, the following day, Stacy, Susie, and her mother, Cheryl Levitt, they were nowhere to be found in the empty house. While there were signs that something unexpected and possibly sinister had taken place, there was no indication of what exactly had happened to the three women or where they might have gone. 31 years later, and we still don't have the answers. How is it possible for three women to just vanish together, never to be seen again? 
This is a question that we're going to explore tonight because we're talking about the unsolved disappearance of the Springfield 3. Let's jump right in. The date was June 7, 1992. 18-year-old Stacy McCall and 19-year-old Susie Streeter had just graduated from Kickapoo High School in Springfield, Missouri. The two young ladies had been friends forever. We're talking like since they were very, very little, like toddlers. They were particularly close when they were in grade school, but they had begun to drift apart in high school as many friendships go. They ran in completely different circles now, but while they didn't spend a whole lot of time together hanging out, they were still on great terms and they knew that they could count on one another. Stacy has been described as bubbly and funny. She was quirky, earning her nickname Spacey Stacy. She was very pretty and she had even had the opportunity to pick up several local modeling jobs, but she didn't really care about looks. She was a total jokester who hung out with the goofy crowd. In contrast, Susie, she hung around with the cool kids, the popular kids, and she was also considered to be popular at school. Also, for some time, she had dated the local bad boy. Susie was described as outgoing, happy, and fun, and she dreamed of one day becoming a cosmetologist just like her mother. Her friends also said that she maintained a very specific routine, almost to the point of becoming obsessive about it. Stacy and Susie's friend groups would intertwine on this evening because it was going to be a fun night of partying and celebrating the class of 92's graduation. The girls started the evening at a party in Battlefield before moving on to another party in Springfield. In the morning, the group was going to be heading to a water amusement park that was located about an hour away. But for that night, some of the party's attendees were going to be staying at a hotel, while others decided to bunker down for a sleepover. With both of these options, the sleeping situation, it was going to be crowded. So Susie asked Stacy if she'd like to spend the night at her house. Susie had recently been gifted a king-sized waterbed. Where the heck did they all go anyway? So there would be lots of space for the girls to get a good night's sleep. Stacy calls her mother to let her know that she'll be spending the night at Susie's, but she promises that she'll give her a call in the morning before they take off to the water park. The girls leave the party at around 2 a.m., and Susie's house was located about 15 minutes away, so they would have arrived back at Susie's home just after 2.15. Susie lived with her mother, 47-year-old Cheryl Levitt. Cheryl was a single mom who had just recently purchased the modest home for her and her daughter in what was considered to be a very safe neighborhood. She had divorced from Susie's father when Susie was just little, but she had also just recently gone through an ugly divorce with her second husband. This new-to-them home was going to be a fresh start for both Cheryl and her daughter Susie. Or at least it was supposed to be. The following morning at around 8 a.m., one of the girl's friends named Janelle Kirby called the home to find out what time they would plan to meet up to head to the water park, but there was no answer on the home phone. And of course, this was before cell phones. So she left a message on the answering machine, hoping for a return phone call back that would never come. Around this same time, Stacy's mom, Janice, she's waiting for her daughter to call before heading out for the day, but she does not call. 
Janice is immediately worried, but she tries not to think the worst. She tries to call the home, and just like Janelle, she also gets the answering machine. By the afternoon, when no one is able to reach the home by phone, worry begins to turn to panic. Stacy and Susie's friends, who they're supposed to go to the water park with, they decide to go to the house to find out what is going on since nobody seemingly could get through to them on the phone. When they arrive, they find three vehicles parked in the driveway, each belonging to one of the women, Stacy, Susie, and her mother, Cheryl. Susie's best friend, Janelle, who had tried phoning earlier that morning, noticed right away that her car, it wasn't parked where she typically parked it. And this was highly unusual in Janelle's opinion, because remember, Susie always followed an almost OCD-like routine, and she always parked her car in the same spot, in the carport. When the group goes to ring the doorbell, they find broken glass on the porch, which appears to be from a broken light bulb. The group of teens didn't think much of it at the time. They thought that it must have accidentally broke, so they would clean up the broken glass to try to help Cheryl out with the mess. Very sweet thought, but definitely shouldn't have touched this. They tried the doorknob, and to their surprise, the home was left unlocked. As they walked through the house calling out to Susie and Stacy, they receive no response in return. It didn't appear that anything was out of place. They found the family dog, Cinnamon, in the house all by herself, and the dog did look distraught as she began whining and barking. Beyond that, everything looked as it should, except there was no sign of the three women. They had clearly been there at one point though, because all three of the women's purses were lined up on the stairs beside each other. Cheryl, she also had around $900 in cash in her purse that was left untouched. Why she had this money or what she was hanging onto this money for, we don't really know. Cheryl also left behind her cigarettes, and again, this was really weird because Cheryl was known to be a chain smoker. She smoked wherever she went, and she wouldn't have just left without her cigarettes. The lights in the home were all off, but the TV set, it was on, and it was showing a static screen, like you used to get if you put on a channel that you didn't subscribe to, or if you were watching a movie and then you turned it off, you got this fuzzy static screen. Stacy's mother, Janice, still could not reach her daughter by telephone by later that afternoon, so she decided to also head to Susie and Cheryl's home. Seeing her daughter's Toyota Corolla parked right alongside Susie's red Ford Escort and Cheryl's blue Corsica, it made her feel uneasy. All three sets of car keys were found inside the home along with the purses, which is really weird that they wouldn't have taken their vehicle if there was somewhere that they needed to be. Janice finds the group of teens waiting around the house. They had actually begun to clean up a bit, including washing dirty dishes and tidying, sweeping, thinking that they were doing something nice for Susie and her mother Cheryl. What they didn't realize was that they were potentially cleaning up a crime scene. Suddenly, the phone rings. Stacy's mother, Janice, answers, and there is a male voice on the other end of the line. The conversation, according to Janice, is a lewd one. She believes it to be a prank, and so she just sort of hangs up. But moments later, the phone rings for a second time. 
Janice answers again, and again, it is the unknown male on the other end of the line. He spews more sexually explicit profanities, and Janice hangs up again. But later on, the phone rings again. This time, the machine picks it up, and there is that same male voice on the other end of the line. This man begins to leave a sexually explicit message, which really should have been alarming with the three women missing, but the consensus again is that it's likely just a prank call. Who was this mystery caller and what was the point of the explicit voicemail? Was this person somehow connected to the disappearances? We don't know, and unfortunately we may never know, because that voicemail would be accidentally deleted, we don't know by who, and it has never been recovered. The only reason we even know about it was because there were people in the home at the time that it was left, and they heard it firsthand. Janice had tried not to worry too much, but something clearly was very wrong, especially seeing as how the rest of the group of friends that they were supposed to be with that day, they also didn't know where the girls were. By that evening, when the three women had still not reached out to anyone, Janice, she decided it was now time to call the police. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, 
Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, when the authorities arrive at Susie and her mom's home, they note that there doesn't appear to be any evidence of a break-in. The only thing that's really broken is that porch light, which has been cleaned up. Retired Springfield Police Captain Tony Glenn would say, quote, The only thing unusual about this house was that three women were missing from it. You had this feeling as you looked around that something was missing, that something had to be missing, but there wasn't, just them. The only thing that was clear was that Stacy and Susie had made it to Cheryl's home that night after the parties, meaning the last time their whereabouts were known was just after 2 a.m. that morning. There was evidence to suggest that the two girls had gotten ready to go to bed. There was a washcloth with makeup on it and jewelry left on the bathroom counter. The shorts that Stacy had been wearing to the party that night, they were found folded on the floor next to the waterbed on top of her sandals. So wherever Stacy had gone, she may have only been wearing a top and her underwear. Cheryl's bed was unmade and it appeared to have been slept in at least at some point. The team of investigators working on the case, they noticed a problem right away. The house had been cleaned up and now the crime scene, it was contaminated. There is no evidence of anything found. No hair, no blood, no DNA that would provide information as to what had happened to Stacy, Susie, and Cheryl. While investigators tried to connect any dots that they could and interview all of their families, the community really rallied together. There were hordes of volunteers who came together to form search parties to look for the three women. Thousands of posters were put up all over town. With three women vanishing without a trace, this case, it received a ton of media attention. The case of the missing Springfield Three would be featured on America's Most Wanted and the national news program 48 Hours. Investigators needed all of the help that they could get. While the police didn't have a whole lot of physical evidence to look at, there was one name that kept coming up while they were interviewing friends and family. Susie Streeter's ex-boyfriend, Dustin. Dustin was known around town as a bad boy. Along with a group of his friends, he had recently been arrested for grave robbing. Allegedly, they had broken into a tomb and stolen the gold fillings out of several skulls. 
This was reportedly the very reason that Susie had broken up with him. She refused to cover up for him, and she had even volunteered to testify against him at his trial, which was supposed to take place a few months after the disappearance. So now, investigators, they had to determine if Dustin did something to Susie just to shut her up. When they interview the group of young men, including Dustin, they deny any involvement in the women's disappearance. They would each take and pass a polygraph test, and there was no evidence to connect them to the case. So police, they kind of had to move on from that theory unless new evidence was found. Investigators started to look a little bit closer to home. There wasn't any sign of forced entry, and there wasn't anything stolen from the house, so it appeared that at least one of the women probably knew whoever had shown up at their door early that morning, sometime between the hours of 2.15 and 8 a.m. It was also believed that this abduction was very much targeted. For a time, the police took a closer look at Susie's older brother and Cheryl's son, 27-year-old Bart Streeter, who police learned had recently had a falling out with both his mom and his sister. Brett was also an alcoholic who had shown himself to be an aggressive and violent drunk in the past. Although he didn't have a very good alibi, he said he was at home drinking by himself, the police couldn't find anything to specifically connect him with his mother or his sister's disappearance. Honestly, though, they couldn't connect anyone to the crime because they lacked any evidence. Unfortunately, if there was anything left behind at the house, like fingerprints or hair or blood, it had all been cleaned up or contaminated by the time the police got to the house. Two weeks would pass and the case, it goes quiet. Then they get a call from a woman who wants to report a tip. She says that on the morning of the disappearance, she believes that she saw Susie driving a green panel van about two miles away from the house. The woman noted that Susie, or the woman who looked like Susie, she looked terrified, and she believed that she heard a man yelling at her from the back of the van. She thought she heard the words, Don't do anything stupid. The police would take this tip and they would start a campaign to pull over every green van that matched the description, but it turned out to be a dead end. They never did find a van that would fit the profile. Then they discover a connection between one of the missing women, Stacy, and a suspected killer who had moved into town. A former army ranger who was once named Soldier of the Year, Robert Craig Cox, he was living in the Springfield area, and he had once worked at the same car dealership as Stacy's dad. He had also once been charged for kidnapping and assault in California, and he was convicted of killing a 19-year-old girl in 1978 when he received the death sentence. However, while he was awaiting his fate, the decision was reversed, and the ruling it was overturned. Cox allegedly moved to the area near where the victims lived just a few weeks prior to their disappearance. So could he have seen photos of Stacy, Or maybe she had visited her father at work and he decided to follow her that night back to Susie's house? We don't know. Investigators decide that they need to bring in Cox for questioning, but he denies knowing anything about Stacy or the other missing women. 
His girlfriend at the time provides him with a solid alibi for where he was the morning of the disappearance. She says that they were at church together. A convenient alibi that police took at face value, but they couldn't move forward in naming him a suspect unless they found proof that he was lying. That wouldn't come until years later, when his girlfriend would turn on him and admit that his alibi was a lie. This all happened after Cox was arrested for aggravated robbery. Cox would remain a person of interest in this case, but it wasn't until 1996 that Cox would say something that would really catch the attention of authorities. An investigative journalist named Dennis Graves visited Cox where he was serving time in a Texas prison. When Graves asked Cox about his connection to the three missing women, he said, quote, I just know that they are dead. That's not my theory. I just know that. There's no doubt about that. So was he serious? Did he know something? Or was he just playing with the journalist? Again, we don't know, but he says that he won't give any specific details until his mother passes away. At that time, when he gave the interview, she was 82 years old, and she has since died. But Cox has never given any further details to confirm if he was actually connected to the disappearances. He remains a person of interest who has never been ruled out, but it's unclear if he does actually have information to offer or if he just thrives on the attention that it gets him. One thing is for sure, he definitely did have the military experience to pull something like this off, and he knew how to use a gun very well. Cox is currently serving a life sentence for his crimes, but he will be eligible for parole in 2025, so just two years away. There have been quite literally thousands upon thousands of tips to come into the police regarding the disappearance of these three women, but nothing has led investigators any closer to finding them. Others, like freelance journalist Kathy Baird, they've stepped in to try to help with the case by using their resources to investigate potential leads. Kathy would say that while she was looking into this disappearance, she received a tip claiming that the women were buried beneath the dirt of a hospital parking lot in the area. She sent the tip to the police, but they didn't think that this tip had any legs to stand on. They didn't want to go and dig up this hospital parking lot because it was actually built a year after the three women disappeared. And during the construction, well, they assumed that the bodies, they would have been unearthed at that time if they were really there. Still, Kathy, she decided to hire a technician who was trained in using ground-penetrating radar. This technician was performing his test of the ground underneath the parking lot, and he claimed to have spotted three disturbances that were about the size of three bodies. Even with this information, police say that it's likely not bodies at all, because the timeline, it just doesn't match up. The parking lot, it has never been dug up to confirm or disprove the anomalies that showed up during that test. Despite the thousands of tips to come in, to this day, Stacy, Susie, and Cheryl, they are forever known as the Springfield Three, and they have not been found. Susie's brother and Cheryl's son, Bart Streeter, who was once questioned regarding the disappearances, he was back in the news in 2019 when he was arrested for public intoxication, disorderly conduct, 
and the attempted false imprisonment of a 15-year-old girl. The girl, she was at a nail salon when Streeter grabbed her hand and attempted to take her home, claiming that he was her grandfather, though she did not know him and she had never met him before. In 2009, Streeter had also been charged with first-degree attempted kidnapping charges by force or coercion while in Las Vegas. So did he know more than he was letting on regarding his sister and mother's disappearance? Did the police stop investigating him too quickly? You can let me know what you think, but he is not a suspect in this case. Five years after the disappearances, Susie and Cheryl's family would have them declared legally dead. This was part of the closure that they needed, as there hasn't been any proof of life shown even after all of these years. Stacy's family, they've refused to declare their daughter deceased. Her mom, Janice, co-founded an organization called One Missing Link, which advocates for families of missing persons, which is obviously a cause very close to her heart. She has remained hopeful that maybe Stacy is out there somewhere still alive. If they were alive today, Cheryl would be 78 years old, Susie would be 50 years old, and Stacy would be 49 years old. While the case of the Springfield Three remains a cold case 31 years later, the community has not and will not forget what happened to these women. The general consensus seems to be that this case was mishandled during the first year, when it could have potentially been solved, but has since gone cold. Still, there are many that believe that we could someday get answers as to what happened to the Springfield Three. There is a reward of $43,000 offered for the location and prosecution of the persons responsible for the abduction of Stacy, Susie, and Cheryl. Anyone with information is asked to contact the Springfield Police Department at 417-864-1810 or Crime Stoppers at 417-869-TIPS. So now I turn it over to you. What do you think could have happened here? Do you think that this was the work of an experienced criminal like Robert Craig Cox, who seems to admit that he knows that the three are dead? Or do you think that he's just playing with the investigators and enjoying the attention? Could they have been abducted by a family member or an angry ex-boyfriend? Or was this a completely random kidnapping? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. On Facebook, you can also find the Serial Napper True Crime Discussion Group. It's called Serial Society, and I'll have the link in my show notes. I'd love to chat with you about all of the cases that I cover and everything happening in true crime. You can find my audio on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. I post all my episodes in video format over on YouTube, so go check it out. And if you're watching on YouTube, I would love if you can give me a thumbs up and subscribe. I'm over on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Serial underscore Napper. I also post things on TikTok, Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. Until next time, sweet dreams, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye.
I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn. I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales. Sherlock Holmes. And the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!